0: As speech pathologists, we we do really get it. We understand the
1: importance of communication and and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe.
0: If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make.
1: Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say.
0: Hi there, I'm Annika Flynn. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's Speak Up conversation. The last 18 months have been pretty tough for us all, both personally and professionally. Professionally, many of us have needed to totally transform our service delivery model to telepractice virtually overnight. It's been a steep learning curve. I naively thought that my telepractice days were behind me over summer, but multiple lockdowns later, I now know that pandemics don't work like that and telepractice will be with me for a while longer. Whilst my skills in running telepractice intervention sessions have steadily improved, I still have some hesitancy with using telepractice for the assessment part of my role. You may be the same. Here to answer some burning questions about completing paediatric standardized assessments via telepractice is Nikki Joshua, Research Director at Pearson Clinical. Welcome and thanks so much for chatting with me today, Nikki.
1: Thanks so much Annika, great to be here.
0: Now, clinical models have changed dramatically in speech pathology, but I'm pretty confident in predicting that things may have also changed significantly at Pearson Clinical. So how did practice at Pearson Clinical change with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Nikki?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, like like practically every industry, um, we too were thrown into turmoil at the beginning of the pandemic. We had to adjust to working from home, working through lockdowns. caring for for loved ones and remote learning and all all sorts of activities um, like the rest of um, the world was as well. But um, at Pearson, we learned very quickly that clinicians um, that we provide assessments to were coming to us for guidance, understanding and support um, around assessment remotely. We already had some telehealth offerings and it was actually the speeches who were leading the way um, in this area. And um, they were really the trailblazers when it came to to telepractice or or telehealth or remote assessment. Um, As the pandemic hit, um, this became a reality for everyone though, as as you mentioned. So um, those who'd already practiced in this way um, a bit before were fairly comfortable with the transition to a telehealth model. The majority, however, hadn't. And so this whole area um, was quite overwhelming and I'm sure it sometimes quite anxiety provoking. We had um, clinicians literally calling us in tears on, on the phone, asking how their practice was going to survive, considering they weren't able to continue face-to-face assessment. Um, the need for assessment was still very much there, but clinicians needed to support, needed support to make key decisions around how and when remote assessment um, was appropriate. So in the first six months or so, Pearson worked really, really hard to digitise as many um, assessments as were appropriate and and possible. We actually offered these to clinicians free of charge um, via our Q-Global digital um, assessment platform. And we provided very regular newscasts on what was available, what resources were being developed. We listened really closely to clinicians on what they needed and, and what was going to be most practical during this really tough time. was an incredibly busy time, um, but it was actually really galvanising, I think, for the organisation and it was was really nice to be a part of it. It was very rewarding to hear that the impact um, we were having on clinicians to be able to continue to see their clients and to continue to do the important work that they do.
0: So what paediatric standardised assessments are actually available to be used via telehealth at the moment? I know there's quite a few.
1: Yeah, so um, the Cell 5 was one assessment that was actually already enabled for for remote assessment and um, that free access was taken up in really, really huge numbers and and continues to be um, accessed despite that free trial ending. Um, When it comes to the Cell 5, I actually just really want to acknowledge the work that um, great translational research that was led by speech pathologist Rebecca Sutherland at Westmead. Um, She and her team um, were the first, um, I think, uh, worldwide to demonstrate the the feasibility and the equivalency of remote assessment using the Cell 5 um, and that was really really important work that they did well before um, before the pandemic. Oh wow! In terms of um yeah the, yeah they were on the fourth foref- um, certainly at the forefront mm-hmm. there. Um in terms of other assessments in the speechy world, um we also have the PPVT, the EVT, the GFTA, the goldman mm-hmm. uh the date. Um, And we've also been undertaking some work recently with the Self Preschool Free, which is due to be released next month.
0: Fantastic. So I'm really interested to know, before an actual assessment on telepractice, is there anything that um, a clinician would need to do prior to that day? Because I'm kind of getting the sense it's not something that you can just whip (laughs) out like you might do in your clinic room, and there's a bit more preparation that needs to happen beforehand. So what would you suggest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think first thing first is to decide if if um, remote assessment or telepractice is suitable for this particular examinee that you have in front of you in this particular setting, with this particular assessment and this particular referral question. So it's not going to be suitable for everyone in every circumstance. So really taking that um, taking a pause at the beginning to ask yourself um, that question. There's a lot to unpack, unpack really in um, in that setting. Um, But there's no need to be overwhelmed. We have collated a lot of really valuable resources for people um, to access. So they can um, be accessed via our website. So that's um, pearsonclinical.com.au forward slash telehealth. And there's lots of um, downloadable resources there. So first up, there is um, a handbook. And that's split into basic, intermediate and advanced considerations for telehealth. If you go to the webpage, you just click download now. It's really easy to access. There's also some really nice checklists for the clinician and also for the clinician to provide the examinee or the parent prior to that um, assessment if it's um, to go ahead. So once you've decided that remote assessment is a suitable option, um, next is to practice. So, yeah, like you said, you you wouldn't and you shouldn't really pick up a tool that you're not familiar with and just jump straight in and neither should you do that um, in a different delivery mode without becoming first quite familiar At the very beginning of the pandemic, actually, um, here at Pearson, we all paired up and um, we practiced doing some um, mock assessments on each other um, remotely. And we very, very quickly realized that we were quite clumsy, (laughs) quite clunky. Um, And it was really challenging to make sure that we had everything up on the correct screen, shared in the correct way with the right settings, that we had the right information in front of us record forms to write on if needed, manuals to follow, let alone ensuring what the examinee at the other end needed. So, um, yes, it was really important to to practice and and that's certainly what we advise all of our clinicians, Mm -hmm. practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Um, Once you've done that and and you've selected what platform you're using, um, you need to ensure that your examinee and their family are well prepared too. So this, of course, starts like you would with any uh, an intro to any typical assessment, description of how the session is going to run, what's required of them, um, what's not required of them in a telehealth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. context. More importantly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, of course, their consent. Um, they're after check to make sure what technology they have available. Um, they can't be joining um, a standardised assessment on a phone, for example, so making sure that the screen size is going to be sufficient, that the audio and video settings are appropriate, that the room's suitable. Um There may also be material that you need to send them ahead of time. So ensure um, that you're allowing plenty of time for the post if needed and um, that any materials that are sent are done so in a separate sealed envelope with instructions to the parent. So you might say don't open until instructed to do so, for example. And also sending a self-addressed stamped envelope um, for the return material to be sent back is really helpful to do ahead Mm. of the session as well.
0: Mm, they are some great practical suggestions, but you're right, there's a preparation for ourselves as clinicians to be confident in using that assessment, but then there's just all those logistical considerations with the family that are very much in addition to what we would normally do if a family was walking through our clinic door, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Now, I'm really interested, um, obviously, doing a telehealth assessment, there's has to be some different environmental considerations from both ends, I think, from the end of the clinician, but also from the family. Um, what, what would you suggest some of those considerations might be that would help that assessment process run more smoothly?
1: Yeah, spot on, Annika. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. For both sides of the call, um, make sure like you would for a face-to-face assessment that, that space is free from distraction. So this can be a little bit more challenging in a remote setting though because you don't necessarily have the control <laughs> I mean, if you're dealing with people's homes and other family members or pets walking, walking through yep. and being distracting. <laughs> um, and your field of view is limited. So um, there's some practical tips. And, again, these are all on our website. But um, ask the examinee or parent to ensure that TVs, radios, phones are off. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like noisy fans can be distracting in the background, can be a cause for disruption. Um, Close blinds, if possible, not only to um, reduce the distraction, but also the glare. I'm sure many of us have spent enough time on video calls recently um, to know that if there's a window behind you or a very bright light sh- shining on the screen, it's quite difficult to see. So consider the lighting. Um, removing food and drinks, um, any other distractions um, on, on the, um, in the environment. Making sure that the examinee is sitting comfortably. Um, avoiding for example chairs that um, might swing around a lot Mm -hmm. um, particularly if you've got a child who's moving around and um, swings in and out of the field of view that can can be um, a cause for concern so ideally avoiding chairs with wheels um, is helpful Um, and making sure that the desk or table that they're sitting at is stable Um, making sure they have everything that they need for the assessment in front of them. So if they need paper and pencil, or um, like I mentioned, if they've, you've sent them response booklets or something ahead of time that they're there and accessible, but removing all other distractions. So at the moment, my desk is far from appropriate as an examinee. I have far too many pens that I would ever need um, and pieces of paper and so forth. So I would need to clear this right out and, and just make sure that it's, um, as the, the disruption is sort of as minimised as possible. Um, Some other technology things, make sure that um, the computer is plugged in um, so you're not going to run out of battery halfway through. Um, Fully charge that the internet connection is stable and I I appreciate this can be really tricky um, in certain circumstances. Um, Ensure that there are no other tabs open. and That's for the clinician and for the um, examinee. Um, Disable notifications so that there's not, you know, social media messenger, messages popping up and distracting um, either party, um, looking at the brightness of the screen, the speaker volume. Um, it's really nice idea, actually, if you can ask um, the examinee or the parent um, to give a bit of a virtual tour of the room, if that's possible, just so you can get a bit of an understanding about what they can see and, and what else might be around them. Um, if that's an option, it's a really good one. Um, there's some really great schematics of what a setup, an ideal setup might look like um, on that website that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. So well worth a look. And I know that all of that sounds very overwhelming. Um, but um, like I said, there is a lot of support documentation available mm. to you. And once you get into the swing of things, you do become really quite fluent mm. um, in knowing what you need to check off.
0: Mm. But they're things we absolutely have to do, though, because we really want to maximise the reliability of the results that we get. And I guess one of the things that I've always been hesitant about is are the results that I'm getting from my telepractice standardised assessment, um, the same as what I would get in a clinic room. It's great to hear that research is saying that it is. That's fantastic. But I think all of that stuff has to happen to maximise that to occur, I think. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, a kid rolling around on a chair and picking up the Lego next to them is not necessarily going to happen in your clinic room so yeah or even if it it is you can know
1: you know yeah or you can do something about it yeah that's right
0: (laughs) now I am so so interested on your thoughts on my next question because parents really play a different role I feel in a telepractice standardized assessment compared to when they're sitting in a clinic room with you so I'm just so fascinated to see what your thoughts are on the role of a parent as a facilitator within a telepractice assessment
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so this will really, I think, depend on the age of the examinee. So for older children, um, a parent may only really be needed for that intro and tech setup and support. And they may just be very much in the background um, and, and, and not otherwise involved. Um, for younger children, they may be needed to provide minimal support, such as letting the examiner know that. The child needs a break or needs a tissue or something um for any more extensive involvement um a parent would need quite extensive training um and this is where it's, it's really helpful if you can make sure that you can see as much of the session as possible so that you can ensure that any responses being given by the child are indeed given by the child and not by the parent um we did find in some of our research um, that we had to be very, very clear with the parent that they weren't able to move the mouse on behalf of the child. They weren't able to click on behalf of the child, that we really needed to make sure that um, the responses we were getting was, was um, you know, what the child was, how the child was responding. Um, and we did have a couple of um, examples where we had to kind of call the parent out and just say, just make sure, you know, this is this is your role here. And I think that's, having, um, that's where having really good briefing ahead of time um, is helpful. And also if you can ask the parent, ideally, if they can almost be in shot but behind, it, you can mm. see a little bit more um, about, you know, what involvement they, they hopefully don't have mm. um, in the session. That is a
0: great tip, I think. I think just um, that sort of sits so well with me, just having them there where you can view what they're doing. Um, Because I know some parents, even in intervention sessions, do like to position themselves just off screen to the side. But I think asking them to sit behind would be a really nice way of being able to monitor how much involvement they're having with responses. I think that's a great, great idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, I'm I'm not going to be negative because I'm going to ask you a really positive question, which are what are some of the benefits to actually using telepractice for assessments?
1: Yeah, well, certainly at the moment, um, (laughs) the big one is really as an alternative option when face-to-face is just not feasible or permissible. Um, So, like you said at the beginning, for for many of us that are in lockdown right now, this is the exact situation that we find ourselves in. Um, I do think, however, from the Kind of this horrible pandemic situation, we've, um, it has been an opportunity for us to push ourselves and be a bit more creative, perhaps work outside our comfort zone a little bit more, and I think we're starting to see the benefits that doing so can really provide long-term, so even post-pandemic. Um, examinees and their families don't have to take a whole day off work or take a day out of school to drive to an assessment, sit in traffic, pay for parking, for example, Rural and remote families don't have to drive for um, long distances or sit on long wait lists. And remote assessment in that way can really provide more flexibility. There's Mm -hmm. more, we know, there's more demand for assessment um, more now than ever. And clinicians are wanting to grow their business and as such want options for flexibility that they can trust. And this is something we hear all the time from clinicians. Um, Remote assessment can provide a real opportunity for speeches to grow their community um, that they can serve, support more clients and grow their practice.
0: Yes, some really, really great benefits there. I totally agree with you. But to flip it, what do you think some of the constraints are for implementing a telehealth standardised assessment?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I don't have rose-coloured glasses. I, I'm very aware that there are some additional challenges. Um, I think probably the technology is the big one, right? So um, I know I said before, you know, ensure mobile phones are switched off, but it is very helpful um, to make sure that you've got an alternative way of communicating with the family. So if the internet does go down and you lose connection, that you have another way to be able to contact them. So um or, or at least troubleshoot, you know, ideas if, if you do have any sort of technical issues um, throughout. Um, if the internet is unreliable, it might be helpful to consider using the phone hotspot if that mm-hmm. tends to be a bit more reliable. Um, we also um, recommend developing a set of criteria for um, determining when to pause or um, or stop a session altogether. So, you know, after X number of disruptions, we're going to call it a day and say this just isn't going to work Mm -hmm. um, or we need to try again. So um, they're things to consider. Um, I think providing regular check-ins. So um, I did hear one story of an assessment um, that was going ahead and after about five minutes or so, the child had said, oh, I can't see anything on the screen and Oops. they realised that it had been like that for quite some time. So I think you obviously don't want to um, disrupt the flow of the assessment, but just having a check-in to make sure you can still hear me, you can still see, you know, this on the screen is, is really helpful. Um, making sure that the screen is in full screen mode and that sort of thing. So that's a sort of technology side of things. Um, linked to that is really around platform. So um, choosing your platform wisely. Consider the security features, um, the the features within the system itself that you're going to need, probably what your organisation will allow, that's a big Mm -hmm. one, um, the cost involved, and whether the examinee themselves will have to download anything, that's another consideration. Um, In addition to using the Pearson platforms, Q-Global and Q-Interactive with Zoom or a number of other free um, uh, freely available platforms. We've actually partnered with, um, a telehealth company called CoView and they've been fantastic. The platform has been really built for purpose. It's a telehealth platform and it's very intuitive, easy, and it provides end-to-end encryption. The examinee doesn't have to download anything. So, um, it's, it's very helpful. And the cell five is actually embedded within CoView and there are, Mm. um, more products coming. So that's, um, that's a it around platform. Um, just a couple of other kind of things to consider that can be certainly considered constraints. Um, it can take longer. So you'd probably do need to allow um, more time, initially for yourself to get into the swing of it, I think. Mm. But even after that, um, making sure that you do um, allow a little bit more time for the session, or if need be, having to split it into a couple of sessions. Sure. Um, is just something to, to consider. Um, and that'll obviously depend on, on the um, examinee and, the, and their age. Um, but that's something to consider. I think a big point around all of these um, constraints is, is really just to document any disruption that's happening in your session, just like you would in a face-to-face if the, you no know, fire alarm went off, you'd, you'd mm-hmm. note that. Um, so noting whether there were um, disruptions that you think had an impact on um, the outcome of the, of the assessment is really important.
0: Mm. It was so lovely to hear you mention that Westmead research earlier and I'm just kind of anticipating that this is kind of a growing area for research at the moment and it will be in the, in the years to come. Is there any other current literature in regards to completing standardised assessments that would be worth mentioning?
1: Yeah, look, there is um, there is a lot of literature. It's growing and growing. We've certainly seen um, a lot published in the last 18 months, which is fantastic. Um, really, I think the research is split into kind of three key areas. So the first being is is this feasible? Can it So can it be done? And really um, the literature says yes, with the right setup and preparation it can be done very well. A lot of these tips and tricks we've, I've sort of mentioned today of um. We've come from this this research, which has been done and and um, highlighted, you know how um, preparation is best undertaken. Um, and like I said, this doesn't mean it's going to be feasible for every client. It is important to consider the age, the clinical presentation, the access and comfort level with technology. But overall, yes, the literature does support that telehealth is feasible. Mm-hmm. The second area is um is it equivalent so you mentioned this before um this depends on the type of task so for example that research out of Westmead um with the self-five indicated yes there was equivalency between the face-to-face and the remote delivery mode um for an assessment like the PLS for example mm-hmm. um you're going to find um differences they're very um you know difficult to be be done remotely um, and anything with manipulatives and and things like that is going to be really challenging. Um, There is a, um, on our website, there's a really extensive list of all of the equivalency research that's been published and you're actually able to search for the assessment and the type of task. So um, you can have a look to see what evidence there is supporting um, the situation that you're planning on undertaking. And then finally, the third area of research is how well is it tolerated? So do examinees, how do they respond and engage? Um, Interestingly, uh, the the research indicates really, really high tolerance from examinees. Um, Mm -hmm. In some instances, actually preferring it to -to face-to-face assessment. Certainly not in all. There are definitely some that still need that face-to-face and and prefer that face-to-face. But in some circumstances, the remote is actually a preferable option. Um, it can be considered less intimidating as it's um, as an assessment's been uh, undertaken in a comfortable location, often being the home. It's somewhere that's familiar to the to the um, examinee. Families don't have to navigate a large hospital or sit in a clinic waiting room. Um, interestingly, um, finding from one study indicated that um, the a family that they'd been trying to see quite a vulnerable family that they'd been trying to see it was notoriously um, cancelling appointments but that they showed up to the online. Um, And so that was, you know, a barrier obviously that they'd been experiencing for face-to-face that was removed. Um, And there's been some nice um, feedback from clinicians as well in the literature um, indicating that they actually really like being able to see the child in their natural environment, like being able to see what kind of home life, albeit through a a screen, but um, (laughs) what home life sort of looks like. Um, And yeah, so so that's sort of a summary of the research and like I said, um a lot of that research and, and the work by um Rebecca and, and others certainly is guided. The resources that we've put together and a lot of the things we've mentioned today.
0: Thank you so much, though, to you and Pearson for putting all those resources and references together to support us. That's just absolutely fantastic. And I know you did mention before your website, but I'm wondering if you could mention it again, because um, I know my dealings with Pearson have always been incredibly supportive and responsive. And I would so encourage anyone listening that if you have any questions about completing a standardized assessment on telehealth to get in touch with Pearson. So,
1: Nikki, could you mention your website again for us. Yeah, sure. So that's um PSNclinical.com.au forward slash telehealth. And like I said, there's that um that handbook that I think is a really great starting point. So have a look at that. Um, thereafter, there's a lot of um, specific product guidelines. So if you're looking specifically to do a cell five, there's a product guideline document just for the cell five and it can really talk, it really talks to you around the considerations for each aspect of um of each individual assessment thereafter there are webinars podcasts lots of downloadables um, links to other organizational content i know that um, both spa and asha have published um, telepractice resources too um, and we are this is ongoing you know this has really changed um, how clinicians work and i think it will be in the long term beyond the p- pandemic so this is an area that we'll continue to add to and i know we are going to be doing more and more training so um, Certainly any feedback um, is very, very welcome. We're very keen to be providing things that are actually going to be useful and, and um, practical for how you, how you work and um, very keen to, um, to hear from anyone who is looking to um, embark in, in this area and, um, yeah, hope, hope to be able to support you in doing so.
0: Well thank you so so much Nikki that has been seriously beyond helpful. I have learned an absolute truckload for that from that. So I really appreciate your time today. So thank you for joining me. Well very
1: very welcome. I'm um, really pleased to be able to speak to you and thank you very much again for your time. Honey.
0: And thank you so much to everyone listening for tuning into this week's conversation. Please be sure to tune in again next Wednesday. Thanks again Nikki. Thank you. Bye
1: bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.